Hola familia, I'm Luis Alvarez and this is the Latino Leadership Circle podcast for September 2020. We continue to pray that you and your family are healthy uh, and safe during this time. With me are my esteemed colleagues and friends, Belinda Pasafaro from Washington, D.C., Liz Rios from Miramar, Florida, David Ramos, president and founder of the Latino Leadership Circle, Orlando Crespo, and your host, all hail from New York City. This month and for the following episodes, we want to focus on the up-and-coming 2020 presidential election, particularly on issues that are important to the Latino and Latina community, frankly, our whole country. I'd like to begin by summarizing who we are before we get into this, because you know, one of the things that we don't want is to get really pigeonholed in any type of, you know, characterization. So we want to speak about who we are. I know we've shared uh, from time to time in our podcast, but first of all, we, we'd like to say that we love our country. Uh, we're grateful for the opportunities it has granted our mothers and fathers, some which emigrated in the 50s and on from the Caribbean, Central America, South America, and yet others like our Mexican brothers and sisters who were already in this land that we call the United States of America. But we're also compelled to call out inequities, injustices of people throughout history and what are present realities Many times, uh, people of color have been subject to, to all kinds of, of mistreatment, and we have to speak about those things. We, we love America, but we love it too much not to hold it to its highest standards that you find in the Declaration of Independence that, that says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Also, that from a faith perspective, we are prophetic. Prophetic in its full biblical sense. As we represent God here on earth, we're ministers of the gospel. Many of us uh, participate in it as pastors and as uh, um, lay ministers in our churches and, and are part of organizations that, that, are, that are Christian. And so we believe we're prophetic in our teaching and our preaching but also that there's an important characteristic of speaking uh, against oppression and injustice as revealed by the biblical prophets and exemplified in modern times through what we see in the civil rights movement. We can all agree that God used civil rights movements to bring equity and blessing to the United States. Many of us are evangelical ministers from Pentecostal and Baptist backgrounds serving in Pentecostal historically Protestant and non-denominational churches and organizations. Now, I know evangelicals are not normally known for being prophetic, quote-unquote, but we believe the full counsel of Scripture. It is the full counsel of Scripture which is informed by historical, literary, social context in which the Scripture is found, what some um, theologians call stits in Lieben. And we find ourselves today as a people uh, going back to what Scripture says and bringing it forward. That's what we call the hermeneutical work. We believe in Theologia en Conjunto, the kind of collaborative, communal, 
theological reflection that we do together. We don't believe in just one person speaking about God, but we do it in community. Amen? In our last episode, you spoke about the importance of the 2020 census for Latinos and Latinas and people of color in the United States. Now, why is it so important for the Latinos and Latinas to be represented in this election? Liz, can you start us off? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, I just want to bring up the fact that it's important for everyone to vote, obviously. Um, You know, the bedrock of our democracy is for one person to cast a vote, but data doesn't lie, right? And um, data has told us far too many times that our people are not voting. Um, you know, they're not getting involved, they're disengaged. And, and it's unfortunate because when we are disengaged from the voting process, uh, they, the, the politicians tend to ignore us. And so we're, it, it becomes this vicious cycle where we're ignored and we get upset and then we don't think we should vote because that we're ignored, but we're ignored because we don't vote. Mm. So it's this vicious cycle. And, you know, elected politicians, um, they do pay close attention to this data of who's voting and and in what communities are they voting. And they get that simply from, um, you know, public records where they see voter demographics, where they see um, all the election information. And because of the ability to see what's in um, these public records, they decide basically who is uh, going to matter for them. And that's why we keep seeing all these things where you know some communities say, well, they always ignore us and things like that. So it's really important to vote because if you want to matter, if you want to get on people's radar, the people that are making policy and change, you need to get out there and vote. That's, that's one of the main reasons why we all should vote, but particularly Latinos who um, have been you know, not as engaged as we could have been. And I understand the temptation um, to be disengaged in the voting process because, you know, it's hard for us as as believers to find any party that fits us perfectly. So, you know, a lot of people opt out and say, you know what, I'm not gonna vote because, you know, that, that these people believe this and I don't believe that. But we have to realize that unfortunately, right now in our present day, we only have a two-party system. So we have to work within this two-party system and and be responsible because I believe that as Christians, we also have a responsibility um, in our civic duty to vote, right? So, um, but also as Christians, we should vote because if we're we're talking about, um, you know, caring for people and caring for the people that God loves, well, every time we vote, we're casting a ballot for our neighbor. You know, it takes me back to um, Jeremiah, where he talks about we have to, uh, you know, act like we care for the welfare of the city, right? Seek the peace of the city. Yes. And and one way to do that is by casting your vote. So I think that's really important for believers, especially Latino believers, to understand. Another thing to consider as believers is that, you know, we should vote because God has given us this stewardship for um, holding our country accountable, holding our politicians accountable. You know, as citizens, we we do have a shared power. Not all of us use it, unfortunately. And it's important at every level. Sometimes people only get involved at the national level, like this election that's coming up for president. But it's important to get involved in all elections because all these politicians make a policy that affects us locally and our state and nationally. Um, and yes, every, most Christians always uh, invoke, you know, Romans 13, right? Our civil authority granted by God, that power to vote. But again, we don't use it in the best way possible. So this is why it's important to vote, to, to share that responsibility. Another reason um, would be because 
we get to speak for the vulnerable and help advance the gospel. You know, the issues of human dignity, um, you know, a vote for or against a candidate can be for or against human dignity, which is what we think we're actually advocating for right now. Who are the candidates that speak for all, that have an inclusive philosophy? Who are the candidates that see the powerless, who uh, are trying to give dignity to people? Who are the candidates that, you know, love our neighbor and are seeking the common good, not not the good of just one particular group of people, not the good of one particular mm -hmm. race of people, but the good for everyone. Again, because every time you cast a vote, you're casting a vote for something and against something else. So when you cast a vote, and that's what we're trying to hopefully get across to everyone that listens to, to this podcast, is that you're uh, um, casting a vote, hopefully for someone that you know values life, that values dignity, that values religious liberty, that values seeking the common good. Now, right. obviously, we're not going to. No particular person is going to be able to solve every problem. None of none of the politicians have fairy dust, but they are able to communicate not only through rhetoric, because that's very important. Everything starts through our rhetoric, right? Because from from the rhetoric, it gets spread out to all the people in the land. But also with the understanding of their philosophy, they fight for policies that are keeping everyone in this place where they are where they matter where where they're looking for what's best for all people what protects all people how do we seek justice for people who are the poor and vulnerable you know things like that so i think yeah. every time we cast a vote it's not just for one or two issues it's about humanity it's about right. dignity mm -hmm. and and we as christians should really uh, be careful not to let people polarize us into one or two issues right. because that is what i believe is happening and we get you know, well-meaning Christians, we, we understand that there's some Christians that are so yes. um, passionate about certain things that they get defensive and they argue, you know, of, you know, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter to Jesus. So that's not biblical. But honestly, there's a lot of things that matter to Jesus and to God yeah. than just one or two issues that we commonly hear about um, from our yeah. brothers and sisters. So I think, you know, these are various issues that I think as Christians, as citizens are important. And, and think about it this way, too. You know, as people of color, you know, people died for us to have a right to vote. Yes. You know, people fought really hard for that. So, you know, we if, if we don't use our rights, one day we may lose our rights. So, yeah, one of the other things that we have to consider is that in the Latino community, they don't even realize that the political establishment has been looking at them as this sleeping giant of a demographic because uh, they've been hoping that they would come out and vote in record numbers and, and the millions. And usually Latinos haven't done that. They haven't gone to the polls the way that mm -hmm. they were, that was expected. So um, we're hoping, and a lot of people are hoping and putting their bets on that the Latino uh, sleeping giant is going to be awakened for this election. And honestly, I hope that they do. Anybody who's sleeping out there who has been on the fence, who hasn't yeah, really up. made a decision, we're hoping that they get out and vote because this is probably an election that the results of this and the policies that come out of the people that are in power will impact not only the people that are still around from years to come, but our children and our children's children. Mm -hmm. So we have to really consider the, the long-term effects of, of who we have in, in positions of power. So um, and one of the things that we have to consider, too, is who are the states? You know, everybody's talking about the battleground states. Well, I live in one of them. 
I live in Florida, even though I'm always going to be considered a New Yorker, and, and I am proud of that. Um, Florida is a, a major uh, a state that is always in the news, as everybody knows, because we are always um, the ultimate electoral uh, battleground state. You know, we have a, a diverse population of Latinos, and it has been said already by my colleagues that we're not a monolith. We don't uh, vote the same. You know, we, we are very mixed. Here in Florida, there's about 2.2 million Hispanic registered voters as of January of, of this year. And about 17% of them are registered to actually take place and, and do something in this um, election. So a lot of them are young. They're, you know, between the ages of 18 and 24. So those are the ones that really helped Obama get elected, right? So we're hoping, again, that they are seeing the, the value of exercising their vote. And another thing to consider is that in the last uh, five presidential elections, Florida has been a key battleground state uh, with extremely competitive uh, elections. Um, you know, people were biting their, their nails every time they were watching an election in Florida because it has significant impact. So especially for those that are here in Florida, if you're listening to this, I really... You know, I'm praying, I'm lighting candles, I'm touching the rosary beads, I'm doing whatever is, is your flavor to get you out to vote. Because we need to um, make sure that our voices are heard and that remember that we're voting when we're casting a, a, a vote, we're voting for our neighbor. And the top states right now that have Latino eligible voters are California with 7.9 million Texas with 5.6 million, Florida, like I mentioned, with 3.1 million, New York with 2.0 million, and Arizona um, with 1.2 million. So, you know, if, if you're listening to this and you're in any of those states, you know, we really do uh, ask that you really think about um, what you're doing. And, and remember, like we said, you know, there's always going to be tensions in voting our values, and we need wisdom and grace to navigate it. But we need to also remember then that our vote, when we when we do it as a believer, hopefully we're doing it wrapped in love, uh, thinking about security for people, prosperity for people, and not national identity and not white supremacy. So I'm hoping that you think about these things as you go forward. We are a sleeping giant. We are a power in this country. Let them know it by showing up at the polls and letting them know that you're not going to take it anymore. Those issues you touched uh, on, Liz, about the, the poor and the disenfranchised, how does that fit? How does that fit within the biblical framework? You know, we're people of faith. Can you speak on that, Orlando? Sure, sure. I'd love to. Yeah, when you look at, uh, when you study scripture, one of the main goals or objectives is to study it well and not to make things up that aren't there, but to, to see what's there. And I remember as a student of scripture, one of the main goals was to see what the repetitions are, right? Because in any work of literature, whatever is repeated means it says something about what the focus or the emphasis of that writer and author was or is. And I think that's true of scripture. Uh, scripture follows uh, literary principles. And so when you think about that and you realize that in scripture, there are uh, over 300 passages that talk about concern for the poor, God's concern for the poor, why we should be concerned for the poor. And so I, you know, I think for me as, as a Latino, uh, I've studied liberation theology, and I think 
liberation theology has gotten a bad rap, right? Because we always go to the extreme that it's about communism or Marxism. But really, liberation is, is about the study of God as the liberator, as the deliverer of his people, uh, the one who rescues. Those are salvific terms as well. And so the term of liberation is a salvific term uh, where God intervenes for the needs of his people. Uh, I want to just refer to a few of them. I'm not going to read all 300, but I am going to read a few that I think are important. Uh, in Proverbs 14, uh, it says, he who oppresses, he or she who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. So there's direct correlation about uh, ethically how we treat the poor and what it means in terms of our honoring God. Uh, there's another passage too, uh, really about making provision for the poor, right? The, um, when the Israelites came out of slavery, there were certain tenets and laws that God put in place. Here's one of them from Leviticus 19, 9 to 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or mm. gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen leave them for the poor and the foreigner, the immigrant. I am the Lord, your God. Uh, there are passages too about in Proverbs 22 about not exploiting the poor in court. It says, do not exploit the poor because they are poor and do not crush the needy in court for the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life. And so there's this direct correlation about uh, our love for God, our respect and honor of God, and how we treat the people who are most vulnerable, most in need, mm -hmm. most most marginalized in yeah. our society. And I think that's true, not just of a theocracy, right, or for just for the Israelites, but I think for all of us in leadership, whether it's you're leading a church or whether you're leading a country, your empathy, your compassion for the poor has to be front and center about uh, uh, how society uh, and civic work and engagement is done. The poor have to be uh, part of that equation. And I think it's in line too. Uh, there's a book that just came out by our, our good friend, uh, Robert Chow Romero, and he uh, revisits uh, a term from Latin America, which was developed kind of during that same time that uh, liberation theology was being developed. And it's the term Misión Integral which I think probably some people have heard of it. And it's this idea that um, theologically, there's a holistic view uh, of the work of God that includes personal salvation, right? Because we know that we're saved in and through Christ Jesus and his work alone. And it's for all people, but also God's broader concern for the poor. Uh, some of the verses I just read about the oppressed, the marginalized among us. And so God uh, expresses, and some of the theologians in Latin America call it preferential option for the poor. That doesn't mean God loves the poor more than anybody else. His, his love and his grace is for everyone. But when the poor are mistreated, he jumps at the chance to care for them, to love and support them. And for me, any kind of leadership that's good leadership has to have this empathy, mm. this kindness towards the poor or we're missing the mark uh, mm. in, in our leadership. And, uh, and so for me, I think as we think about this election and voting, 
uh, we've got to think about each person running for president and where they stand in terms of their view of the poor. And I know it's not just cut and dry. There's a lot of issues we need to look at, but it's got to be something for us as Christians and as moral people to be thinking about the poor uh, all the time. So that's, that's where I think as we vote, uh, that's got to be front and center, uh, at least for me and I think for, uh, for many of us. Belinda. Thank you, uh, Louis. And Orlando, I, I so appreciate all that you've just shared because that is the heart of God and a standard that we should be using, right, to measure our leaders against. Um, and I want to build on what you just shared in terms of God's preference for the poor and how often that's repeated in Scripture. There's another term repeated in Scripture as well, and it's woven throughout the Old and the New Testaments, and that, that term is justice. And they, they work hand in hand, right? Um, and this is a term that I have found to be often misunderstood or ignored within some of our evangelical circles. Uh, it's seen often as the work of others that engage in those efforts outside the church walls and is not necessarily a part of our divine calling and our witness as believers. The emphasis, as we know, has often been simply to focus on personal piety and the salvation of souls. And while we do believe that that is critical in our faith, we also believe that our relationships with others and engagement with the socioeconomic and political systems in place is also sacred and part of our calling as people of faith. As portrayed in the Lord's Prayer, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as we consider the verses you've shared, Orlando, and the ones I'm going to be sharing now, we think about a common thread, which is that love, mercy, and justice, they come together and are at the very heart of, of God's calling and God's message to all of us. And as we consider some of the scriptures that I'll be sharing with you now from the Old Testament, let's look at what the prophet Isaiah uh, said in chapter 1, verse 17. He said, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Again, speaking about the most vulnerable amongst us. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? We believe that justice, mercy, and spiritual humility must be reflected in the leadership that we vote for, because only then can we ensure the common good, not just for one segment or for 1% of the population, but only then can we ensure the common good for all people in this nation that we call home and that we love. In the New Testament, Jesus shares a parable that many of us are very familiar with. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25, 37 through 40, an important question is posed for all of us. And I want to pose this question to all of our listeners today. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, 
whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And within this context, we can see how social justice is about helping the most vulnerable in our midst. It is about the calling that we need to live forth and bear witness to on this earth during this time, and that we need to hold our leaders accountable to do as well. And I want to wrap up lastly by a verse I think that just encompasses all other verses in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 30 and 31, when Jesus was asked, which of the commandments was most important? And his reply was, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And so often we forget about that second part, love your neighbor as yourself. And the reality here is today, friends, that when we help others and we work towards providing humanity with greater justice, with peace, with reconciliation, with equity, we bear witness to God's love on this earth. And this love for others is not a nice suggestion or recommendation or even an option. It is a spiritual mandate and is definitely not limited or determined by geographic borders. And this is the love we need to see emulated by the leaders we elect on the local, state, and federal levels that all people are divinely created by God and that God's love for all is unconditional. Just now what Belinda said is encapsulates everything that we should be thinking about when we talk about humanity and what we should be thinking about. We're different. We're supposed to be an alternative people, right? So we're supposed mm -hmm. to be thinking different. So, so how is caging migrant children and, and rejecting America's history of, of you know, the nation of immigrants a good thing for America? You know, how is not having an affordable wa minimum wage a good thing for America? These are the things that we should be thinking about when we're, you know, going into, you don't have to tell anybody who you're voting for because some people are shamed into certain things and that's fine. But when you go into that, that booth or if you're mailing in your ballot, which is totally fine to do as well, yes. you know, um, you know, please think about these, these issues because this is loving your neighbor, Right. We, we as Latinos, we are a collectivist society. We're not an individualist society, right? You know, we care yes. about family. We, we, we make you family when you come over and have some cafecito, you know? <laughs> you know so, so for us to, to side um, along the lines of empire, right? And just, you know, the only person that matters is yourself. The only thing that matters is money. The only thing that matters is power. We're, we're so contrary to what Jesus stood for and even what our own culture stands for, really, you know, that we really should think about these things yeah. as we go forward. What goes on a lot of times within our churches and, and our Latino churches, because I grew up in the Latino church, is that we take on the politics of another group and we think it's a Christian thing. We think because some teachers proclaim that you need to vote like this, we think that we voting really on two issues is only voting on two issues. But the fact is that we also vote in a package of other issues, too, and other economic realities or economic um, perspectives that don't take into account Latino people or people of color. And that's the big mistake that happens with us. And we're not considering that God would want us to consider the, the full, like we said, council of Scripture and consider 
all of these issues when we vote. Um, but not only that, we need to consider the condition of our country right now. Orlando, can you lead us off on this condition of our country right now? Uh, sure. Yeah, I think uh, without a doubt, uh, one of the primary conditions of our country is the fact that we're in a state of of racial unrest and uh, the injustices in our country really have come to a head uh, with the killing of George Floyd and and uh, and others. And it's something that that we need to recognize and accept that if we understand reality and the condition of our country, that's got to weigh into how we vote and who we vote for. So for me, uh, I need to vote somebody in who has a true understanding of reality right now yeah. and not someone who's denying the racial unrest and the injustices that are happening, happening particularly to, uh, to black and brown people uh, in America. Uh, this is something that many have spoken out against, and it's almost like we're living in denial, like we don't believe mm -hmm. that things are that bad for black Americans in this country, when it really is, and it has been for many decades and even centuries. Yes. And so we need to have people in leadership who understand the, the Kairos moment, what's happening now, what's the condition of our country that we need to figure out and work through. And that's true leadership, somebody who has a hold on reality and can speak to it. One of my favorite quotes from uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, regarding riots is that he said, a riot is simply the voice of the unheard, right? Uh, it's the actions of the ignored and those being denied justice. That's my paraphrase. And so we look at the problem and say, well, the problem is law and order. We've, we've got to put down the protests instead of saying, wait a minute, what are the unheard saying? What do we need to hear from the unheard that's necessary for us to move forward as a country? And I think there are many now who, are, who, are, who believe that we will never move forward as a country and make progress unless we acknowledge the sins of our history, particularly with slavery, with genocide of, of Native Americans. But with all of those issues, there's got to be a, a coming to terms or reckoning where we acknowledge, repent, confess, lament those things like other countries like South Africa and Rwanda have done. And I believe when we begin to do that, that I think some things will begin to change as we begin to deal with racial justice and put things in place that need to be set right. And so I, when you, for me, as I think about the condition of this country, uh, we can't live in denial, particularly with this issue of, of racial injustice and unrest in our country. Familia, we will continue this discussion about the 2020 presidential election in our next podcast. In the meantime, go to whenweallvote.org to get information about voting and registering to vote. Facebook.com slash Voting Info Center also has information about where you are to vote and how you can also register. Because of the election and the urgency of the matter, we will be releasing this next part or the second part of this podcast next week. So please look out for it. Cuídense. God bless you.